Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. As the current administration grapples with what to do with healthcare in the United States, the future of 15 million people with disabilities, including children and seniors, hangs in the balance. I'm Corey Dugas. Today we're joined by Elizabeth Pendo, the Joseph J. Simeone Professor of Law in the SLU Law Center for Health Law Studies. Professor Pendo is an expert on disability law and disability discrimination. Thank you for joining us today, Elizabeth. Thank you for inviting me. For those of us that aren't super familiar with disability law, can you talk a little bit about what kind of issues have risen to the surface in the past few years? I think first I would say that disability is something that will touch all of our lives. One in five people, or almost 57 million people in the United States, are living with some kind of disability. And that number is expected to rise as the population ages. So anyone can experience disability, and it's likely that Many of us, if not most of us, will experience it at some point in our lives. So certainly we will all encounter family members, friends, colleagues Mm -hmm. who live with all different kinds of disabilities. So I think it's an issue that we all need to be concerned about going forward. Mm So with these big numbers of people, I had never heard this 57 million number, that's, that's really large. So how does this impact what's going on with the law itself? Well, when people think of disability law, they tend to think of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. That is a federal civil rights law that prohibits discrimination in many venues of American life, employment, public services, public accommodations, which means non-governmental businesses that are open to the public, public transportation, and also telecommunications. And the ADA was intended to end discrimination against people with disabilities, and also to bring them into the economic and social mainstream of American life. The ADA was important because it broadened the protections of a prior federal law, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. The Rehabilitation Act prohibited discrimination, but only if you accepted federal money. Mm -hmm. So it applied a lot of places, but not everywhere. The ADA applies without regard to whether or not you accept. The ADA applies whether or not you accept federal money. So it was a very important expansion. Mm When I think of the ADA, and probably mm-hmm. for the layperson, most of what I think about is really the accessibility, getting into buildings, making sure sidewalks are okay, but it does have implications on what's happening with health care and health care coverage. But I know that there's some gaps in there. Can you mm-hmm. talk about what some of those major gaps are? Sure. The Americans with Disabilities Act and the Rehabilitation Act both apply in healthcare settings. Um, and that means hospitals, healthcare facilities, and doctor's offices, whether they're public or private. And the ADA has made important gains in healthcare access for people with disabilities. For example, challenging outright denials of care based on disability, and also requiring accessible communication. For example, sign language interpreters mm-hmm. for patients who are deaf um, have been important wins under the Americans with Disabilities Act. But there's been less progress in other areas impacting people with disabilities in the healthcare arena. Part of that is because there's a long history 
of discrimination against people with disabilities in medicine and in healthcare. Those include denials of care, forced sterilization, institutionalization, often under very difficult circumstances, exploitation, abuse, and neglect. So we have a dark history of interaction with the healthcare system. The ADA has been more effective on those issues, but sort of looking at modern or current issues, what are we looking at? It's almost 30 years after the Americans with Disabilities Act, and still there's strong and growing evidence that links disability with different and poorer patterns of health status, health access, and treatment. People with disabilities have higher odds of reporting chronic diseases like diabetes and stroke and coronary heart disease and heart attack. They experience a higher prevalence of secondary conditions. They are much more likely to report skipping or delaying care due to cost. They experience a disproportionate number number of emergency department visits. Uh, One area of research that I focus in is women with disabilities and their access to women's health care and preventative care. They receive fewer basic women's health care services, including important screenings for breast and cervical cancer. They tend to be diagnosed at a later date, and they tend to receive different kinds of treatments, um, and they experience higher mortality rates. And I think when you're hearing this kind of information, it's easy to assume that people with disabilities have these poor outcomes because the disability itself makes them less healthy. But contrary to that assumption, these types of inequities in health status and healthcare access and in outcome can't be explained by just the presence of disability alone. Instead, studies have shown that even when you control for other kinds of factors like income, health insurance access, and others, it appears that bias and discrimination play a large role in creating these inequities. Mm -hmm. That's really unfortunate to hear. Do you have any ideas of how we can address some of these inequities? Well, I do think that the Americans with Disabilities Act has great potential Mm -hmm. in the area of health care. It's an issue of enforcement, and it's also an issue of changing attitudes. But I think the Affordable Care Act provides some important new tools that we don't have under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So what are some of the provisions that are being made for people with disabilities in the Affordable Care Act? Many of the provisions of the Affordable Care Act will benefit people with disabilities, just like they benefit everyone else. But one provision that I think is especially important to addressing the types of health inequities that I described is the Affordable Care Act's requirement of data collection on different kinds of health issues and health experiences. Standardized health data is really critical to health equity. Health data, such as that collected by the Department of Health and Human Services through different types of national surveys, is used to identify health inequities, to develop and assess programs to reduce health disparities. It's the basis for federal reports on health status and health equity, and it's also used by researchers for all different types of health research. So without that foundation of information, Mm -hmm. it's challenging to make real progress on these issues. I think it also sends an important message 
Collecting and reporting data makes disparities visible, and it sends a powerful signal that they matter. The problem for disability has been that historically disability has been marginalized in these types of efforts. If we think about federal surveys that collect health data, they either didn't include disability. Now, of course, they asked questions of people with disability, but they didn't include indicators of who has disability. So when you got the data back, you'd be unable to look at the answers for people with disabilities mm-hmm. in particular. You might be able to tell things like age or gender, gender but not... Gender, race, mm-hmm. yes, but not disability. Uh, some did include disability indicators, but each survey contained different disability mm-hmm. indicators. So you couldn't compare the results of one survey against another survey. For example, you couldn't link the census information to information about satisfaction with care for people with disabilities. So the ACA is really bringing some consistency along with that data collection. Yes. Uh, The Affordable Care Act requires that all data collection projects, all these types of surveys done by the Department of Health and Human Services include indicators for disability. So we can analyze that data by disability. And that is a big deal because it's the first time disability has been meaningfully included in these type of data collection efforts. The Affordable Care Act also required a uniform set of questions to identify disability. Um, And recently, the standards that HHS developed are using the same six questions that are used in the American Community Survey. They're well-tested, they are well-organized, and they've been used on, they are used in many other federal survey projects so they can be compared against each other. So we can really see some of the benefits of the Affordable Care Act and how this uh, data collection is really going to benefit us in the future. But with the new administration, there's been some promised changes in health care. So what would be the impact of losing these provisions? The impact of losing the requirement of collection of data generally and for disability in particular would be a loss of that foundational information. Mm-hmm. A great diminishment in our ability to identify inequities in health and health care, a diminishment in our ability to appropriately plan programs, and we wouldn't be able to evaluate the success or failure of programs that we already have in place because we simply wouldn't have the data available. It also means researchers who want to research in this area wouldn't have that national data available to them either. The good news is the first wave of this data is already available. Before the Affordable Care Act, four out of the 26 health data survey projects included these six questions. As of 2015, 15, or 13 to 15 of these sources include it. And we've already seen the first wave of that data, and it's already being used by researchers. So a lot of the information that I shared with you earlier about the health status, a lot of that comes from this first wave of data. So we're already seeing the benefits. So the goal for that, though, would be to continue to move forward and collect that data to have as much as possible um, for these assessments. 
there's been this move towards integration of law and policy into public health goals for people with disabilities. Can you explain a little bit better what that means? Sure. The Affordable Care Act's data collection provisions is actually an example of Mm -hmm. that. The idea that law can be used as a tool to promote public health goals um, in general and for disability in particular. Now, the Affordable Care Act's data collection provisions didn't start the movement toward collecting this data. A lot of it was already being collected, and in fact, the move to include disability was already underway prior to the Affordable Care Act. But the Affordable Care Act provided an impetus and a structure and it just put more power behind that movement. So there is this awareness that law can be used as a tool to promote health. Elizabeth, why do you think that it's so easy for people to assume that these inequities are because of an individual's disability? I think it has to do with how we think about disability itself. The traditional model of disability in our culture is a medical one. Disability is thought of as something individual, something biological, and the role of medicine is to cure or fix disability. Another competing model of disability, and one that's reflected in the Americans with Disabilities Act, is disability as a social construct rather than a biological fact. And the idea there is that the disadvantages of disability come from society's attitudes and the way we've designed our environments rather than physical or mental impairments themselves. And the classic example distinguishing the social model from the medical model is a person who uses a wheelchair who's unable to enter a building because the only means of entry is a staircase. The medical model would suggest that the impairment and the use of the wheelchair are the problem. The social model would say that the societally created barriers The social model would say that the socially created barriers, such as a building design that uses only stairs and does not include a ramp or a lift, are actually the source of the disablement. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a topic of conversation that I don't think everyone thinks about, but it's been really enlightening to hear your perspective. So thanks again, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations. Produced by St. Louis University School of Law.